Thank you, guys. So we have completed both the first and second sections of the Apostles' Creed. The first section focuses on God the Father. What does it mean that he's the maker of heaven and earth? We talked about that. And then the second section, which comes right in the middle, that's not accidental. Uh, we're focusing on Jesus Christ. It's the biggest section. That's not accidental. And so we are spending the lion's share of our time discussing Jesus Christ and who he is, all that he has accomplished for us. And now we are moving on to the third section, which is focused on the Holy Ghost. You say, wait a minute, it only seems like one line is focused on the Holy Ghost. True, but... Uh, we would not have the church without the Holy Ghost. We would not have the communion of saints without the Holy Ghost. We would not have the forgiveness of sins or know about them even without the Holy Ghost. Uh, the resurrection of the body and life everlasting are all gifts of the Holy Ghost to us. And he is a seal and a sign for these things. So we're going to talk about all of that. And next week, uh, Lord willing, we'll even talk about that controversial Spot there. What are we talking about with the Holy Catholic Church? Uh, that doesn't sit well in a lot of our Baptist mouths. Uh, so we're going to talk about what that means. But we'll get to that next week, Lord willing. Tonight we're going to talk about the Holy Ghost. And to do that, uh, as always, we want to start off with some scripture to get us thinking along these lines. Romans chapter 8, Romans 8, 14 through 17, and who would like to read that, 14 through 17, thank you, go right ahead. That's the NIV right there, yeah. 14 through, 14 through 17. Alrighty. Uh, I'm trying to find 14 here in my new Bible. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share in his glory. Excellent. Thank you, brother. So that tells us a lot about the Holy Ghost, but let's back up for a moment and think about this language. And first we have this word that's being used in the creed, ghost. And that strikes us as a little odd. Uh, that kind of evokes strange imagery. Uh, you might be thinking of comics like Casper um, and uh, movies, Ghostbusters. 
uh, spooky stories that we might be telling around the campfire. And we say, what is this word ghost doing in the Apostles' Creed? Patrick Swayze. <laughs> yes, yes, Patrick Swayze. <laughs> yeah, and so, and, and, you know, we would say, well, Swayze was probably not the most holy of ghosts there. So what is a holy ghost and what are we talking about here? Well, if you did not grow up with the King James, this would strike you as strange, but of course, uh, the King James utilizes a lot, and so did previous translations. Uh, um, When we're talking about the translation of the Apostles' Creed, for instance, uh, we are looking back to an earlier translation that that was preserved in in the Apostles' Creed. And so... When we're, when, when we're thinking about ghosts, we're not thinking about something that might be a paranormal encounter necessarily uh, in a biblical sense. It is used to, uh, to refer to some kind of disembodied personal energy. And when I say disembodied, I mean something that is not material in, in our definition of the word. Um, personal meaning that it does have personality it's not a it's not a force an unthinking force like electricity or something like that it is a personal energy it has it has personality and so that's something that we would generally call a spirit today unless we are telling stories around the campfire then we might use that word ghost Uh, but most most modern translations including your new bible their brother and some others uh, just simply do away with the ghostly language so that we're not thinking of anything ghastly and it moves on to uh, spirit which sounds a little bit uh, kinder today I suppose uh, to, to our ears uh, there, there is much to consider here and this statement uh, the statement uh, triggers the rest of the creed um, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this. And this is, uh, again, something that we, we're going to be seeing. The Holy Catholic Church is being built by the Holy Ghost. What does Catholic mean? Um, I know it's hard to tell because everything's capitalized, but I actually don't have a big C on Catholic. That, that, is, uh, that is intentional. We'll talk about that. Uh, we'll talk about how the Holy Ghost brings together the communion of saints and helps us to understand the forgiveness of sins and brings about our resurrection of the body. We'll talk about each one of those as we, as we move on in the next few weeks. But when we're defining the Holy Ghost, we cannot look to culture. But, and this is something that Christians will do sometimes. What do I mean? Well, there was a video that went around a few years ago of a, uh, of a woman who was a song, who was a, a, a praise and worship band leader um, out of Bethel, whose music I do not recommend. Uh, they're, they're, uh, the, the church teaches a lot of heterodox and even heretical teachings, and the music is reflected with that. And this, this video was emblematic of that. This, this gal, and I don't remember her name right offhand, but she, she was up on stage and she was talking about this vision she had and she actually got to go up to heaven and she encountered Jesus and God the Father. Um, and then uh, she also encountered the Holy Ghost and she began to describe the fact that the Holy Ghost, you know, he's, 
he's he's kind of like the spirit, the the genie from Aladdin. He's he's like the genie from Aladdin. He he's he he's boisterous. I guess she means more of the of the. Uh, oh, I'm drawing a, a blank on his name now. Robin Williams. Thank you. I, I think she's thinking more of more of that version of the of the of Aladdin there, the 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 genie there. Uh, he's he's a bit tricky, and he's even blue. She says he's even blue, and so the, these were characteristics that she was giving to him, and obviously that's coming straight from culture, and that's someone who obviously grew up with with Disney, and I think had that impact her a little bit more than she than she would admit. Others have made illustrations to the Force from Star Wars, you know. And there we have this impersonal entity, which is binding Christians together. And if we can just learn how to tune in, we can all tap into the force and, or, or the spirit, I should say. You know, and maybe we can even speak realities and, 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 and shape our circumstances around us and, and speak positive things into our lives and, you know, things of that nature. These illustrations... Are, are not even close to accurate, obviously. They're, they're very different illustrations, but they, neither one is close to accurate. The first point that we must come to is that the Holy Ghost is not a what, but a who. Okay, so that does away with the force from, from Star Wars. Uh, he, uh, this is a he. This is a he. We don't say it. Um, everyone's talking about preferred personal pronouns today. Well, his pr pronouns are he and him, uh, not it. And when we say it, we are saying that the Holy Spirit is, is, is not a personal being. Uh, we might not be thinking that, but that's kind of what we're indicating with our language, I should say. And so... That's something that we want to avoid. Why? Because the Bible describes, and this, this could be a weeks-long study, so I'm trying to give the highlights here, but the Bible describes the Holy Spirit in terms of his love for the saints. Now, an impersonal being does not have love. The electricity in the wall does not love us. It doesn't hate us either. It has no feelings at all toward us or toward anything because it's impersonal. It doesn't have any kind of thought process. The Holy Spirit loves. He has desires. He has desires for you to grow. Uh, he, he speaks. He speaks. That's something that an impersonal force doesn't do. He speaks. And he works for us. He works for us. So, so these are uh, characteristics of the Holy Spirit which tell us that he is a personal being and that's something that some folks have lost over time. Some have even said the Holy Ghost is just descriptive of God's own spirit going forth and it, in, in this case describing it as an it, it doesn't have any more thought than, uh, than the wind or the electricity in the walls or anything like that uh, because it's just the spirit of God going forth. No, he is a, an entity of all his own that is also 100% uh, God. 
<clears throat> now it's interesting because those who have embraced feminist ideology have also ad adopted a different set of pronouns. Some have taken to referring to the Holy Spirit, yes, as a personal being, but as the Divine Mother, <laughs> paralleling the Father God. But nowhere in Scripture is the Holy Spirit revealed in such a way, and that would, that would definitely be out of bounds, biblically speaking. So who is the Holy Ghost? Well, historically, when we are talking about the Holy Ghost, I'm, um, and I've already tipped my hat to, or my hand to this, he is the third person of the Trinity, third person of the Godhead, uh, person, again, meaning that he has a personality, uh, he has uh, you know, thoughts, emotions, feelings, uh, but in the sense of the Trinity, he is also 100% God, just as Jesus God the Son is, just as God, God the Father is. And you say, I don't know what that means. Can you illustrate that? No, because there's nothing in nature that illustrates the Trinity. Every, every time we try to discuss the Trinity, uh, we, we fail. There's something wrong with the illustration that we give. But we can look to Scripture and see what Scripture says. God described himself in the law as being one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, or Yahweh, your God, Yahweh is one. He's one. Uh, and so he's unified. And we cannot at any point say there are three gods. The Quran accuses us of saying there are three gods. The Quran does not understand us. If it says that, of course, there might be some Christians who are confused. But no, we don't say there are three gods. We say there is one God. That's what Trinity means, triunity. Uh, but then what does Jesus say in Matthew 28:19? Anyone want to read that one for us? Obviously part of the Great Commission. Yeah, it's funny the, the Muslims have a saying, they say only God is God. Mm -hmm. He's after Holy Ghost, whether he's Jesus or not. Right. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Excellent. Now, does that strike you as grammatically incorrect? It's, I was talking about three people. Exactly. And so, um, I was just saying, no, it doesn't strike me as grammatically incorrect because I know we're only talking about one. <laughs> right. But, it, but normally you would expect in the names of these three. Right, exactly. In one name, three, three persons. Mm -hmm. I, even as I describe this, I want to be careful. Person can, can convey separateness as well. Uh, I and my wife are in a sense one flesh because we're joined uh, in holy matrimony, but we remain separate beings. Um, you know, if she gets cut, I don't yell out in pain and vice versa. Um, you know, we, we, we are still separate beings, but when we're talking about God, that doesn't exactly apply in the same way. And so we're, we're, we are limited in our three dimensions of reality here, trying to, trying to understand the infinite God. Mm -hmm. uh, he is three, and yet he is one. And so we're, we're trying to get that, and we see that the Spirit is there working where God works. He's there in creation, Genesis 1-2. The Holy Spirit is brooding 
uh, or hovering over the surface of the waters. He is there in the construction of the tabernacle, Exodus 31, uh, verses 1 through 6. We see that the Spirit is actually giving gifts there, and uh, he, is, he is helping with that. So, so we see the Spirit working where God works, and of course we see that into the New Testament as well as we see that he's at work in man. Uh, for instance, going back to Isaiah, Isaiah 61.1, we see that he inspired the prophets. Uh, and that's why the Nicene Creed, which is very similar to the Apostles' Creed, adds here that he spoke by the prophets, because that's exactly what he did. He spoke, but by the prophets. He also equipped God's people throughout the Old Testament. Unfortunately, we just don't have time to look up all of these, but of course we know that he came upon people for specific purposes at specific times. He evoked godliness. And I want you to note, even though we're not looking at all of these references, these are all Old Testament references. So the Old Testament is rich with Holy Spirit theology. We just have to see exactly how he works there and then contrast that to how he works in the New Testament. And he does the same and more in the New Testament, including in the work of salvation. And so that's the next point here. What, it, what role does the Holy Ghost perform in salvation? Well, let's uh, just take a peek at John chapter 3 for a moment. John chapter 3. That's true. Very true. And so let's uh, let's just skip on down to verse five there. I know we studied this, but it's been a, it's been a few months now, probably since we've been in John three. So it's worth a review. John chapter three, verse five. We see Jesus answering, "Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit." He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, we talked about the disagreements about what that meant about water. Um, we, we saw that it goes back to that Old Testament promise that God will sprinkle clean the people of Israel, the believers. And here it's applied to salvation. There, the, there is a sprinkling clean of the people. And so we see that, 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 that we're sprinkled. How, how are we clean, cleansed? We're cleansed by the Holy Spirit. And so unless we are washed and born in the Spirit, we will not be saved. It's, again, the same thing that we see a little bit later. Uh, uh, let's not turn there, but I'll just have you write it down. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. That is one of the New Covenant passages and we see that God there promises that he is going to put his spirit into people. And Jesus continues on. Let's look down to verses 6 and 7 of John 3. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And so here at church right now, I have a few of those running around. Pastor Jorge has one of those running around. And that which is born of flesh is flesh, little fleshly people. 
Um, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And so there now needs to be a completely new birth that happens. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. It's not enough to be, it's not enough to be born. You must be born again. And that's something that the Holy Ghost performs. Let's look down to verse 8. Verse 8. He says, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it. Of course, he's speaking metaphorically. We know that the wind doesn't have a will of its own. But uh, what he's saying there is that they can't capture the wind. They can't, they can't force the wind to do anything. And they can't really even see it. They can just hear the sound of it. You do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. That's interesting because what is the Spirit being compared to there? The wind. The wind. And they are the same word. They are the same word. And so Jesus is intentionally saying the Holy Spirit is like the wind. You can't force him to do something. He goes where he wishes and he makes alive whom he makes alive. And so it is only those who are made alive by the Spirit who are born again. And that's, that, that is a vital vital role that we see of the Holy Ghost. If you're not born of the Holy Ghost, you're not born again. And with the washing and everything else, I would say that the, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit that folks talk about, that actually is salvation right there. That is salvation. Not that the signs and everything else that are typically assigned with that is salvation, but if you don't have the Holy Ghost, you are not saved. Because you have to be saved by the work of the Holy Ghost. And of course, the Holy Ghost fills you. He's a guarantee that you're God's child. Exactly. Exactly. Um, take a look at Ephesians 5 for a moment. <laughs> Ephesians 5, 25. And this is something that we did recently um, on Sunday evenings. Ephesians 5, 25 and 26. Let me have someone read that one for us. Ephesians 5.25 to 26. Therefore, laying aside, uh, Paul said, oh, I mean, Paul, sorry about that. Sorry, that was a good one, too. <laughs> Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Excellent, excellent. And so Christ washes uh, the, the church with the washing of the word, right? Now, someone turn to Titus 3, 5. What is the Spirit doing there? Titus 3, 5. Just a little bit too. Say this, not by works which we give the righteousness, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. There it is. And so the Spirit now is regenerating us. He's bringing us to life, to new life. And he is renewing us. And there we see that the washing is actually by the Holy Spirit. You say, I thought it was through the Word. Who inspired the Word? The Holy Spirit. And so this is essential for us. And to just sum it up, 
I refer you to Spurgeon's Catechism, question 71, where we read the outward and ordinary, excuse me, the outward and ordinary means whereby the Holy Spirit communicates to us the benefits of Christ's redemption are the word by which souls are begotten to spiritual life, baptism, the Lord's Supper, prayer, and meditation, by which all believers are further edified in their most holy faith. It's through the preaching of the word that we come to believe. How shall they believe if there's, if there's not a preacher, right? There has to be the preaching of the word. Um, and then once they are begotten in spiritual life, then we experience baptism, the Lord's Supper, prayer, meditation, uh, where we are further edified. And of course, further preaching of the word. These are all means, one might say ordinary means, by which the Holy Spirit uses to both save and to edify his church. And so the, this is uh, what the Holy Spirit does. Now, does he do anything else? Does he do anything else? Well, yes, we just said he edifies the church. Uh, he is a comforter. Jesus promised that. Um, he said that in John 14 in the upper room, that, that, he, that he would abide with us and the Spirit would also be speaking of Christ in John 16, the upper room discourse, of course, going from John 14 to John 16. Uh, Romans 8, 14 through 17. Uh, we read there, and you can turn there if you want to. I'll go ahead and read it. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery again, leading to fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God and of children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. That's, of course, what you just read a few minutes ago. And so we see that the Spirit is at work in all of us. He is abiding with us. He, he, he makes his presence, or the reality of the Spirit's presence, makes verses 38 and 39 possible um, of Romans 8, which is just incredible. That, that he would always be with us and that nothing will separate us from the love of God. And he also teaches us through his word, through his word. You do not need me as an individual. Uh, of course, God's designed the church to have a pastor, but understand I'm just a talking head. I can be, this head can be removed and someone else could be here and someone else could be teaching you. You don't need a special teacher. Why? Because you have, each one of you, the Holy Spirit to help you understand his word. And so you don't need a special teacher. That's what John had been addressing in 1 John, where there were actually these spiritual gurus who claimed that they had inside knowledge that you couldn't have unless you listened to them. No, you don't need that special teacher. Christ gives gifts to his church. There, there are only so many things I can do as a pastor. 
God's given all of you gifts, and many of you are fulfilling that uh, in extraordinary ways. And so the Holy Spirit does so much in our lives. Now, of course, that does introduce the charismatic question. And, um, oh, look at the time. No, uh, <laughs> no um, the Holy Spirit definitely did give gifts to the church, uh, or does give gifts to the church. He gave a lot of gifts in the first century, but in the first century there were a lot of things happening, and the, whole, and the word had not fully been delivered just yet. Once, once the word was delivered, uh, I, I do contend that uh, the, the certain sign gifts, the, the speaking of tongues, the uh, prophecy in the sense of, of foretelling um, and forthtelling that would only come from a particular prophet, um, the mir signs of miracles, things of that nature did cease at that time. Um, that, that's known as the cessationist position. Uh, cessationist position typically does not mean that there are no more spiritual gifts. If God continues to give gifts, I do believe that I'm here today because the, because God has blessed me with teaching. Um, you know, that's not pride because I'm saying God did it, not me. Um, there are a lot of other gifts I see in each one of you. Some sometimes teaching, sometimes other gifts. You know, and so. Uh, the Holy Spirit continues to give gifts today. Now, I say that, I should also say there are some cessationists who do believe all the gifts have ceased, but they're in the minority, uh, that, that there are no more gifts today. God just uses talented people. And uh, I, I don't think that that's a New Testament teaching. So what other roles? Well... Um, this is all about historic Christian opinion. This is not us just kind of making things up on the whim. This is what, uh, what we see in the Apostles' Creed, what we see in the historic church. The Holy Spirit unites us and is essential to our Christian experience. What should we believe about him? Well, that's summed up in question 53 of the Heidelberg Catechism, which says, first... That he is co-eternal God with the Father and the Son. Secondly, that he is also given unto me by true, me by true faith makes me a partaker of Christ and all his benefits, comforts me, and shall abide with me forever. I know I'm going pretty fast there, but note that first we, first we are to see that he is co-eternal God with the Father and the Son. He is as much God as God the Father is and God the Son is. And he is given to me by true faith. He makes me a partaker of Christ and all of his benefits. It's the Holy Spirit that makes, that puts me in Christ. It puts, yes, exactly. Puts me in Christ and he comforts me. Uh, there's times when we have the peace that passes surpasses all understanding where does that come from that comes from the holy spirit that doesn't come from me that comes from him and he shall abide with me forever and there is great great comfort in that 